this might be the feminists are going to come for me, but ladies don't propose to a man <laughs> ever. You better mop the ocean before you propose to a man. <laughs> You better sweep the Sahara before you propose to a man. You better vacuum the Grand Canyon before you propose to a man. (laughs) So, listen. Listen. everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content become a show producer on patreon and get access to after the episode outtakes curated playlists movie reviews music video retrospectives and so much more join the family at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic on today's episode we'll be discussing the last three seasons of the iconic abc sitcom boy meets world this slice of life series follows our protagonist from his preteen years through the ups and downs of his early 20s boy meets world gives us a taste of the life of the average white boy growing up in the 90s and the family and friends who helped shape him so how well has this landmark series aged 20 years after its finale stay tuned Right, everyone. So if you guys didn't know, um, it didn't listen to last week's episode, definitely stop right now and go listen to that. But here are some details about Boy Meets World to refresh your memory if you did. Boy Meets World is a sitcom and it was created by Michael Jacobs and April Kelly. Um, it aired from September 24th, 1993 until May 5th, 2000 on ABC for seven seasons and a total of 158 episodes. It had one spinoff, Girl Meets World, which aired on the Disney Channel and ABC. And Boy Meets World stars Ben Savage as Corey Matthews, our protagonist, Ryder Strong as Sean Hunter, Corey's best friend, Danielle Fischel as Topanga Lawrence, later Topanga Matthews, Corey's love interest and later his wife, Will Friedle as Eric Matthews, Corey's older brother, Lily Nixie in seasons one and two, and Lindsay Ridgway seasons three through seven as Morgan Matthews, Eric and Corey's sister, William Daniels as George Feeney, Eric Corey, Sean, and Topanga's teacher. William Russ Russ as Alan Matthews, Eric Corey, and Morgan's father. Betsy Randall as Amy Matthews, Eric Corey, and Morgan's mother. Anthony Tyler Quinn as Jonathan Turner, Corey, Sean, and Topanga's teacher. Lee Norris as Stuart Minkus. Trina McGee, um, later credited Trina McGee Davis as Angela Moore, Sean's college girlfriend. Uh, Matthew Lawrence as Jack Hunter, Sean's half-brother and Eric's roommate. Maitland Ward as Rachel McGuire, 
Jack and Eric's roommate. So these are our key players. Now we're going to be picking up on season five, which was 24 episodes. This was the very last year of high school. Uh, Corey, Sean, and Topanga are seniors. And boy, is there a lot going on this season. So senior year, so it's it's senior year and like we're, you know that the show is, is trying to be, or at least it's attempting to be more serious because we're, are the like the opener of the season is like Sean finding this long lost brother named Jack who they have the same father and Jack is very wealthy and Sean is still isn't obviously and Jack and Sean are reconnecting and sort of I guess trying to figure out their issues so the Jack player character is played by a Lawrence brother. It's not Joey Lawrence, is it? Matthew. Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's played by Matthew Lawrence. Obviously, like the Lawrence brothers were like really famous in the 90s. Ultimately, like I like his introduction. I think like the concept is cool, but ultimately Jack doesn't add anything to the show. He doesn't. Sorry about it. Sorry, hate it. In fact, the Jack and Rachel characters, I think, actively detract from the show, and they don't add anything, and I I never quite understand the purpose of them. I'm so glad you brought it up, because um, I believe that, because this is something I wanted to talk about that I've noticed with a lot of the shows that we have reviewed or will be reviewing, particularly for this season, the 90s was a great time to get for actors to get paid to be completely useless characters. I mean useless. Like what is the purpose? Why are you here? Nobody knows. Nobody um, knows. Don. Um but no, before that, we definitely set the blueprint in 90s sitcoms with characters that didn't any serve any purpose like you said de- actually actively t- detracted from the goings-on and the inner lives and whatever A plot or B plot was going on with our main characters and our primary supporting characters, right? Like, there's nothing here for us. Right. And I was trying to understand, like, because I was really thinking on, like, well, what was the reasoning here? And, I okay, I'm going to be real. I've never watched a single episode of Friends. <laughs> like, don't I've never watched I have no desire but um I've seen enough of it I've seen like parts of I've seen enough like singular episodes here and there to sort of like I think get the gist of it and I want to say like were they trying to like replicate friends yeah I mean if they did they failed because unlike you I have watched every single episode of friends my mom loved that show and she controlled our remote so here we are (laughs) The thing that Friends did really brilliantly, and I will say to their, you know, not to take credit away from the writers of Friends, but this Friends was based on a British show called Coupling, and they followed that formula pretty well. You had your primary characters. I mean, everybody was in the principal cast, right? But you had the characters that we were primarily supposed to be focused on, which were Ross and Rachel. You had your sub-characters, which were Monica and Chandler, And then you had these other characters that existed more or less for comic relief, but in an appropriate fashion, which were Phoebe and Joey. The the Jack and Rachel characters failed on all fronts. They weren't our primary characters. They weren't our supporting characters. And they added no sense 
of appropriate levity. They they felt like a distraction. They sounded like a distraction. They were deeply annoying. I'm sorry about it. No, yeah. So you're totally correct. And another thing that I felt that was going on that I couldn't quite place myself on was like something that was definitely going on was that it felt like also Jack and Rachel's purpose was like to be Eric's friends or to like give Eric something to do or to infuse comedy into the show. And like it failed on that front as well. They did a lot of things that I don't like. Now we talked on the last episode about how I felt they completely degraded and diminished the Eric character. Yeah. And I agree with Um, that. They made him dumber and dumber um, each season, I guess, so that Corey could look good by comparison. I or, think so. I I guess. Right. Um, because it's Will Friedle, and Will Friedle's good looking, and he was exceptionally good looking in the 90s. So I guess you have to do something, right, to diminish a character or to make him the comic relief or whatever the case may have you. But the Eric we're introduced to in season one, I mean, he's not the smartest bulb in the box, but he's not a complete moron and he also doesn't have any problem getting women or getting friends but anyway but we have this jack character uh, and in the first air episode um chet sends sean to live with jack and then that happens and then sean and jack are living together in this apartment which this apartment will be like a staple of the whole from season five Till the end of the series and so many people will move in and out of this apartment living at this apartment whatever and that's why i and because like this apartment becomes like a central like place or focal point that's why i said as like are they trying to like be friends or something or, like or trying to replicate friends or something because it didn't whatever yeah no it's possible that they were trying to go for that like friends but make it for kids kids even though and the show- if they, that's what they were doing, um, I missed it because they felt so spectacularly. Yeah. Or not even just make it friends, make it friends for like ABC because friends, because this Boy Meets World originally aired on ABC, right? Uh, and friends, I think, originally aired on NBC. Yeah, it did. Um, but the reason I say make it kids is because of something else we'll talk about how like, the conversation of sex is actively avoided on this show, even though Corey and Topanga have been dating for a lifetime at this point. Yeah, uh, let's. That's another one that's weird. It's like I don't get. It. It's 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 weird. It's like these characters are growing up. Like, and that's something that I feel. I'm not gonna lie. the 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 lack of mention of sex on this show coupled with other, like, really serious themes that start happening in these later seasons feels like a struggle between the writers and the network. Right. We can talk about child abuse. We can talk about um, uh, juvenile homelessness. We can talk about parental abandonment. But we can't talk about sex, y'all. We can't talk about sex. I think there's, there's this feeling of, like, these writers really wanting to, like, let these characters grow up. And mention sex because, like, we do have the sexual assault episode or, like, the, se- like the sexual predator episode with, with um, Fred Savage, right? And we're, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. But then it's, like, but then something that will make no sense happens. Like, I just, whatever. So, season five. 
season five. So they do two things in this season that I like. Anthony Tyler Quinn, who plays Mr. Turner, leaves a season, which, I mean, this was a character that I liked, but um, since he pretty much reneged on being Sean's guardian, it was like, what's your purpose? And then um, we were introduced to the Angela character in episode two, Boy Meets yeah. Real World, which she's a character that I love and I will continue to love going on um, because I felt like, I don't feel like she was the glue that held the show together by any means, but I felt that she gave the Sean character a depth that wasn't enmeshed in trauma. <laughs> yes. Like, mm-hmm. you could have an Ish. interesting storyline that wasn't just like, my dad left me and my mom left me and nobody wants me. Um, so that was cool. And Angela's a cool character on her own. I feel like they could have done better in giving her backstory and giving her relevance outside of Sean. But Chita McGee is very, very interesting and very compelling to watch. Right. When they introduce her, like, and they... And they even introduced this idea of them together. Like, this is like the first episode. Like, they're electric on screen from Jump. Um, they have a really good chemistry with each other, uh, Ryder Strong and Trina McGee. And um, I'm with you. I think they could have deepened her character a bit. But I will say that, like, I, that I... I don't harp on it so much because none of the female characters are that developed. Not even Topanga. That's true. Not That's even true. Topanga. Like they're they're all sort of subs- like existing for the male characters. I think I said something similar when we talked about Breaking Bad. I'm like the only characters that are truly developed, Jesse's barely even developed. The only characters that are truly developed are Walt and Hank. Everybody else is just existing in a power <laughs> struggle. <laughs> power struggle. It'll get it gets a little bit better as like the I think in season six, but not not by much. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this. Cause I remember I was 12 years old when this season was released. I'm thinking, and I've been thinking, that Corey and Topanga are fucking. And contrary to appearances, he's good at it because she's still with him. <laughs> But then this is the season where, and this is towards the end of the season, where Sean and Topanga get married, yes? Uh, you mean Corey and Topanga? Yeah, yeah, Corey and Topanga. I'm sorry. Um, this is definitely the the season where like they go to prom and then like they the whole thing is like they're gonna fuck at prom and then they don't fuck at prom. Right, because the show doesn't want to set a bad example. Literally every 90s sitcom did this. They had a prom episode where our protagonist or someone in their family planned to have sex. Um, um, sometimes they would get a little bit goofier with it where like a dad or an older sibling would actively try to prevent them and fail. And then at the end of the episode, the person who wanted to have sex would come to their senses and, and do the morally correct thing and not have sex. Yeah, that that's the that's a prom episode. And it's like it is the most cloying episode because it's like the whole thing is Topanga's like, we're gonna fuck. Like, and Corey's so excited because this whole time he's not been fucking her. And it, there's like a whole sitcom hijink where um Amy and Alan are at the same hotel the prom is at. Mm-hmm. 
and in Amy and Alan are like at the hotel to celebrate the fact that Amy's pregnant again with a, right. with a new ass kid. And then the whole thing is like, we're not going to fuck because like when you fuck, you can get pregnant and that's bad kids or like, or not bad, but like you should only get pregnant. Like if you can handle a baby, like in the confines of marriage, abstinence is key. That's the underlying, you know, messaging of the whole episode. Right. I mean, and I think the fact that Corey and Topanga get married underscores that it's not just about being responsible, but specifically having sex within a marriage. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which because happens. why else would you get married at eight fucking teen? Right. <laughs> Which happens <laughs> next season. <laughs> it's good. Oh, yeah. It's goofy as hell. And can we talk very briefly about how Alan Matthews really supported a family of five on a grocery store manager's salary? Well now in Philadelphia. Well now he's not a grocery store manager. He owns the wilderness store, the camping store. <laughs> so he's a business right. owner now. <laughs> like, Making so significantly less money, I'm sure. Because how many people actually go camping in Philly? And um, how much money is he bleeding as a startup business? I don't know why Amy got behind that, but like camping store, boy, if you don't if you don't file for this nine to five. <laughs> um it's a it's so i will say that season so one something that i do want to touch on about why sign oh about why season five is significant is like season five is when we get our very first previously on i said yeah <laughs> that was interesting i remember the first time i heard it i'm like what previously what? And, and, and the reason why that's significant is that like, it, I, it's a big signal that we're going to have like more like cohesive seasons or like, we're going to start like remembering things, you know, the show's taking an active sort of measure to remember what happens from episode to episode so that like somehow all these, um, episodes are connected and they're not just sort of, uh, like situational in the way that we're, you know, traditionally used to situational situational comedies. The, so season five is also the season where like the epic cheating scandal with Linda Cardinelli happens. Mm. Mm. But before we get to that, I want to, but before we get to that, I want to talk about an episode that happens previously, which is uh, uh, this, this work study episode. So season five is when uh, Corey goes from mildly inoffensive to like the Xander Harris of the show. Um, yeah. He becomes so insufferable. And I think we really see that like in full effect in this, this work study episode. So the setup is like, so Corey and Sean both are on this like work study thing for senior year and they both get jobs in the mailroom of this ad agency. And Corey, of course, has like puffed up his chest and is like, Oh, Sean, you know, you should just look up to me. Cause clearly I am the one with all the great ideas and I am so much smarter and better than you, uh, by virtue of my middle-class upbringing and you are a poor. And so, <laughs> So the big tension in the episode kicks off when Corey and Sean are delivering the mail upstairs to all the executives and there's a phone on somebody's desk that is ringing and nobody is there to answer the phone. And Corey tells Sean not to answer the phone. 
and Sean is just like, whatever. Uh, and Sean says, you know, my dad always said, if there's a phone ringing, you answer it. Sean answers the phone. And he, of course, is Sean. So he's like, he talks to the person on the phone and, and you know, says all the right things. And Sean is very quickly promoted through the ranks of this work-study thing. And Corey is very quickly demoted um, because he's Xander Harris, because um, he's super annoying. And mm. and he's dumb, and he's doing the most with the absolute least. And The most with the least. And it is like... Uh, and like for the first time, we really get to see... First of all, Corey being ugly as shit. But also, we see how well Sean can do when Sean is, like, independent, like, within and of himself. Right, and I talked about this briefly last episode. The more Sean asserts his independence from Corey, the better... We get a better version of Sean, essentially. Um, There was a time when he needed Corey because the stability of Corey's family, specifically gave him that kind of, like, uh, I guess, blueprint, this model of normalcy. But Corey himself is a toxic individual and a really petty one. And he's he's dropped breadcrumbs before that he's not the type of person who would be happy for Sean's success unless he was himself experiencing more success. Right. And Corey is further, and Corey feels even further belittled because... Angela and Topanga on their work study job are also doing very well, particularly Topanga, who comes back and is like, <laughs> I got like, you know, also promoted and told that, like, you know, I'm doing amazing, which is, of course, because it's Topanga and she has worked really hard in school and done a lot of good things, unlike right. Corey. Um, and I, I think that's also important because like that this this dynamic of Topanga just basically um bearing the fruits of her success, like uh, and being a successful person and Corey then feeling belittled by her success is is a dynamic that's that's only gonna get worse. Um, right. But it's also a dynamic that he should have expected. Like, this isn't like a Seth and Summer situation where he realizes at the 11th hour that Summer is smarter than him. Corey's always known that Topanga's smarter than him. Right. He just somehow feels superior for whatever reason. Right. And I'm like, boy, if you don't sit down somewhere, like, did he think she would get dumber with time or that he would get smarter? Or was he just counting on being a white man to somehow make him more successful than her despite being less intelligent? I think he, um, I think he just thought, like, she was going to be dumb or she would continue to, like, pretend she was dumb for him or, like, at least feign. I don't know. I don't know. Don't ask Yeah, me. like, she was never the dumb and down types. So, like, fam, you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think one of the episodes I love that really, really showcase how well Sean could do in the right environment is one of my favorites, episode four, Fraternity Row. So Sean attends a college class and he gets into a debate with a professor. He wins a debate with this professor. It's very engaging. It's very stimulating. They're talking as two adults equals. He loves this shit. He loves it so much that he starts skipping school to like sit in on, on these college classes and get suspended, which is dumb. 
but like it shows that Sean doesn't dislike school. He like he dislikes being treated like a child. He dislikes being talked down to. He dislikes um, an unstimulating environment. When he feels intellectually stimulated and he feels challenged, unlike Corey, he will rise to the occasion. Right. I love that episode. That's a good episode. And I have, and I was thinking like, and something that was interesting to me about that episode is like, I think it can speak to um, Sean's character, but also just like, you know, not to say that Mr. Feeney is a bad teacher, but like maybe Mr. Feeney is a bad teacher because this whole time it's, it's just, it was proof positive that it's not that Sean didn't want to learn the material. It's that the material is boring as fuck. Like he didn't feel challenged or stimulated by any of it. I won't say Mr. Feeney's a bad teacher per se, but I I feel like in a lot of ways he is your average teacher Everybody's got to raise their hand, no back talking. And he does show special consideration to students whom he feels are intellectually gifted, like the Minkuses and the Topangas of the world. He is your typical grade school teacher. Um, I think the difference is that that where, where Sean never really cared about schools, because I don't think he expected college to be this way. I don't think he expected it to be as adult as what it was, right? Right. Um, Mr. Feeney cares about his students quite a lot, but he teaches in the typical fashion that a grade school teacher teaches. And that is not conducive to how everybody learns. It's just not. Um, unless you are self-directed and self-motivated like your Topangas, like your Topangas and like your Minkuses, where you're going to learn regardless, just simply because you love learning, that's not always the best teacher to have. And it's, it's it clearly wasn't for Sean. It clearly wasn't for Eric. And I, I really wish they had taken this route with Eric as well, because I feel like Eric, even if he's not academically gifted, the Eric we, we knew in seasons one and two had a special aptitude for something. You know what? And he did. And it was, and you know what it was? It was children. And the show touches on this and they never do anything with it. Yeah, Eric was great with children, um, which we'll talk about because those are I love a lot of those episodes. Um, so another thing that happens in that just the B plot really quick, like in the B plot of that uh, work study episode, that's also really good, is that we get this um, this B plot with Amy which is great because Amy doesn't get like a lot of episodes about her on her own. And through the course of um, the episode, we find out that Amy had always wanted to be a writer. And so now that she's like officially an empty nester, she goes to, she signs up for one of Eric's college courses, uh, like, which is a creative nonfiction writing class. And uh, so she goes to this and so she goes to this writing class and she reads her story and her story is basically like, um, you know, she's busting it wide for like, <laughs> for, for mm. Alan on their wedding night. You know, she reads it and she's like, big old freak, big booty, big old treat. Um, <laughs> give it to me, big old ski. <laughs> and uh, Eric is horrified to hear it, but it's very popular. And she, we find that she's like actually this really great writer 
And um, it's like, it's a surprisingly feminist episode because Erica's like, you need to quit this class. Like, how dare you? What is it with all these Matthew ch- Matthew's children that are so selfish and ridiculous? Um, but Erica's like, you need to quit this class because it's, it's mine. And Amy says, I've been a mother my whole life. I need to be something more. Like, can you let me? Like, I'm, I need to. And it's, it's really great. I love that episode. Um, for me, it, it also talks about a very common theme that I see with boys specifically in concern to their mother. Like they just don't want the women to be their mothers to be sexual. The idea that their mom has ever had sex, even though the evidence is literally them and all of their siblings is like something that they cannot grasp. And I think that says a lot about how men perceive sex and perceive women who have sex and enjoy sex. And y'all need some, to get to see a therapist about that. Is all I'm gonna say. Right. And <laughs> and that's, that's and see. And this is what I'm talking about. The episode keeps bringing up sex, but then it like will do weird, goofy stuff. I don't know. Or or like not the episode, but the show. It's it's clearly wanting to move on, like with these that this is it's happening i can feel it but then stuff hap but then it's like we get these weird other weird episodes that are so like slapsticky and goofy and and don't make sense uh but then but then after so after these episodes we we have the epic lauren plot isn't that this girl that Corey was talking to yeah so what happens is like they go on a school a senior school ski trip, which by the way, I never did that. Did you do that? Um, we went on a senior trip. It was no overnight. First of all, (laughs) um, they called it grad bash or grad night. And we just went to islands of adventure. We left in that morning. We stayed all day at Bush gardens, islands of adventure. Some kids went to Disney world. Some kids went to Disneyland. Then we took our asses back home at 10 o'clock. We got back on that bus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um we we didn't go on a ski trip i think the closest we we could did and it was only because like we're like an art school we went to like chicago for mm-hmm. like the auditioning to go to college because like the arts program the college art programs you have to audition to get in and um while we we're in chicago we saw second city but we never skied i'm just saying the ski thing is like you know, it's Boy Meets World. It has a ski trip. Dawson's Creek has a ski trip. Everybody has a ski trip. So I'm like, is this See, like they a really thing? have me thinking that white people love skiing. Same. Dang, like, damn, everything they do is skiing, skiing, skiing. <laughs> skiing white people skiing. love skiing a lot. Like, oh, my God. But, like, it's interesting because apart from... Dawson's Creek, where people were standing on the snow, and um, Boy Meets Tour, where people were sitting in front of a fireplace um, to let me know that they're actually at a ski lodge. Did y'all ever actually see anyone skiing? That's a good point. That's an excellent <laughs> point. <laughs> oh, like, like our, our episode, do y'all love skiing, or do you just love telling people that you're going to the ski lodge for the weekend? <laughs> Right? Like, is it really just, like, is maybe the ski lodge just about, like, some cute outfits? You know? Because I can get behind that. I look good in layers. Right? Like, I can get, like, behind, like, a cute winter outfit. But, like, I never see any of y'all actually ski. Um, So they go on this ski trip. 
And during the ski trip, of course, like, the first thing that Corey does is he breaks his ankle coming off of the bus to the ski place. (laughs) And there is a girl who works at the ski lodge named Lauren, played by Linda Cardellini, who is, like, a 90s queen. Freaks and and geeks stand up. Corey's feeling her super heavy, and, like, she's feeling Corey super heavy. I'm sorry, but why, though? Because when you live in the mountains, like, you don't have a lot of options, Em. (laughs) She likes him, and then they kiss, and then he lies to Topanga about it. He doesn't say anything. And then she writes him this, like, really intense, passionate love letter, apparently, that she sticks in his bag. And then Topanga finds it and reads it and then realizes that they kissed and then they break up. And it's drama. Like, it's a whole arc. He really let my girl Topanga find out that he kissed this bitch. Like, I think it would have gone so differently if he, like, felt some type of remorse that caused him to confess to Topanga. Like, how worse could this have gotten if Topanga didn't find out? Well, I mean, it would have been bad when she showed up at, like, in Philadelphia, because she does, like, two episodes later. Right, no, I mean, how much bad, like, like if, if he didn't confess to Topanga and had no no desire to, so she shows up in Philadelphia, Topanga hasn't read that letter, what happens? Does he just keep having an affair? He does, he absolutely does, maybe. Yeah, Corey's trash for that. We don't fuck with him. It's drama. They break up. And then Linda Cardellini shows up like two episodes later. She gets on a bus. She makes, apparently it's a four hour bus ride. So I guess she must have really been committed. (laughs) We're really doing all this for the dick, sis. Are we? (laughs) And she gets there. Topanga sees her there. And Topanga tells Corey, well, you got to figure out how you feel. So like go out with her if you need to figure out how you feel. Um, Corey does. They have like a really romantic date. Then Corey realizes that he really loves Topanga. And so when he tells Topanga that he's like, I went out with her, I did it. And Topanga's not feeling that. She's like, I never, I would never have to test my feelings for you. And the fact that you had to test your feelings for me means you're not really about me. And then they break up for But you serious. told me to go out with her, Topanga. Yeah, but you shouldn't have listened. Curly-headed. <laughs> um, oh, I hate, I hate Corey so much. But yeah, Topanga, our girl Topanga basically gave him enough rope to hang himself, and he took it. Like, he's just like, here, do this thing if you want to. And she, he's like, yeah, I think I will. Dummy. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting because um, I think Topanga did the right thing. And I think if she hadn't done this, Corey would have never respected her long term. I agree. Um, because part of Corey's problem, and this was the same thing with him wanting to go to that party back in like third season to meet this French girl, even though he was dating Topanga at that time as well, was a part of him um, subconsciously believes that Topanga will always be there. He takes her for granted. No, yeah. Like, no, we're not doing that. Not today. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Another plot point throughout the season what that I love is this burgeoning relationship with Angela and Sean. Because he dates her. There's, you know, he meets her, episode two. Sparks fly. He, but he only dates her for two weeks. He only dates any girl for two weeks. Then he wants to call it quits. 
But then he realizes he's really falling for this girl. And it's Corey, ironically enough, that convinces him to give long-term relationships a shot. And, you know, Angela's kind of the one for Sean. But Sean's not someone who's used to being happy. And that puts a strain on their relationship throughout the, the rest of the, the series. Yeah. And she deals with, a, and Angela deals with a lot with regards to Sean. I mean, it's, it's hard because Sean is Sean, but then he also comes with all this extra stuff that is not, that put, that also puts a strain on their relationship. There is a episode this season where like, we find out that like Chet was like used to be an addict like an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And so alcoholism and like addiction is something that's in their family history. I felt like it was always deeply implied that Sean's parents dealt with substance abuse though. You're I think, yeah, it was implied. I think it's, this is the first season it's made explicit because Jack says something to him about it. Jack is like, you shouldn't be drinking because Chet was an alcoholic. And that means it runs in our family. Right. Addiction runs in families. Um, right. And I, it was implied, you know, throughout the seasons because Chet can't hold a job, can't check, can't this, check, can't that until um, whatever season it was that he gets a job as a janitor at the school. Right. Um, right. So it's like, I mean, honestly, if you give me a white man or honestly, any able bodied man and you tell me he has trouble holding down a job that implies either substance abuse issues or mental health issues. No two ways about it. That's real. I, I, I see that. Um, so season five ends with uh, Corey and Topanga get back together. And Sean gets into Pembroke. Topanga turns down Yale to go to Pembroke. Angela gets into Pembroke. Corey gets into Pembroke. And everybody is basically going to Pembroke next year. Um, but the big, big uh, turn is that Topanga proposes to Corey. And that's how... Season five ends. Okay, I'm going to just sit right here for a minute. This might be... The feminists are going to come for me, but ladies, don't propose to a man. (laughs) Ever. You better mop the ocean before you propose to a man. (laughs) (laughs) Mop the ocean? You better sweep the Sahara before you propose to a man. You better vacuum the Grand Canyon before you propose to a man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, listen <laughs> listen you can't be a man for a man if a man wants you he's gonna make that clear if you don't want him you make that clear and if y'all in a relationship and he's not proposing to you it's because he doesn't want to be married to you sis so don't ask for him ever because you're going to be leading that man and trying to train that man into being your man forever. And we see this throughout the season. Corey is still very much a child, even when they say their I do's. They, he is. I just don't understand why she would turn down Yale for him. Like, what? Girl, what? <laughs> you know, like, okay, yes, okay. Can we talk about that? Um, she left her family behind for him before this. <sighs> They moved, and she didn't want to move because she wanted to be near him. Boy Meets World sets a really, I feel, a very um, a female unfriendly precedent because it shows that if compromise should be made, the woman should always be the one to make it. 
Right. Um, no, and you're the right. Final nail in that, the final nail in that coffin was Topanga proposing to Corey, even after this bullshit that he did with this other girl. Right. If, if, if anything, if Corey had been faithful from season one through now, I still wouldn't have approved of her proposing to him. But after he did this for her to still propose, it feels like her trying to lock it down so that he's, he doesn't get distracted by the next pretty girl. Which, why? Like, Topanga, do you own a mirror? Do you know what you look like? <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Um, so season five, what do we think? Good, bad, basic. It would have been good if they didn't have my girl Topanga proposing in these streets and saying <laughs> no to an Ivy League. <laughs> Like right now, it's it's basic. It's basic plus, but it's basic. Um, you know what? I'm gonna call it also basic plus. There's a lot that I love about this season. I like that the season is becoming more cohesive. I like that they're introducing information that will be like pertinent, um, and important later in other seasons. They're thereby giving like a real connectivity to the show. I like, I like, I like those aspects. Um, I like that. I love Angela. Angela's really cool. Yeah. Do you have any uh, standout episodes for you? Um, so it's a basic plus for me. But there's a lot. But everything you said makes it why it has to be basic plus. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I can't co-sign what y'all trying to do with Topanga. You're why, like the court. The show constantly sets it up as Corey being the prize in their relationship. And it's like, what incel wrote this? uh that's real shit Um, it's real shit i love Um, love the angela character i love that we finally have a black character on the show i love that she behaves like a black girl um that she wears her hair like a black girl i love that she doesn't take shit from the sean character she loves him obviously but angela is is not the sassy black girl stereotype, nor is she the submissive girlfriend prototype either. So I think they do a lot of great things in regards to that character. And the Jack character was probably the least useless in this season. I think he had a little bit of use in season five and just became useless from thereafter. Um, (laughs) So standout episodes, definitely the episode where we meet Angela, which is episode two, Boy Meets Real World. Da, da, da. Episode four, Fraternity Row. Episode five, The Witches of Pembroke, which I thought was a cute episode. So, Melissa Joan Hart and Candace Cameron. Um, now, now Candace Cameron Burr guest start on that episode. So we it was like child star galore. No episode six, No Guts, No Corey. Episode eight, Chasing Angela. Episode. 11, A Very Topanga Christmas. Yeah, another episode that showcases why they shouldn't be together because he gets mad at Topanga for wanting to join into his family's festivities. It's it's a mess. It's a it's a, it's a an ugly, ugly mess. But just another episode that shows that Corey is trash, basically. Episode 12, Raging Corey. Episode 14, Heartbreak Corey. Episode 15, First Girlfriend's Club. Episode 17, and then there was Sean. Episode 22, Promises, Promises. I have a a lot of mine are are on your list, but uh, episode one, Brothers. Uh, Episode two, Boy Meets Real World. Episode three, It's Not You, It's Me. Episode seven, I Love You, Donna Karen. Uh, 
episode nine, How to Succeed in Business. That's the episode that we talked about where Sean succeeds and Corey fails. Episode 13, The Eskimo. Episode uh, 15, First Girlfriends Club. That's a really clever episode because basically all of Sean's exes from all the previous seasons come and are like reintroduced to do this sort of like first wives club thing. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Episode 19, Eric Hollywood. Episode 21, Honesty Night. Uh, Episode 23, Things Change. And then episode 24, Graduation. Things Change is interesting because once again, like I just, it shows how like Sean was just going to be all right, no matter what. Corey sort of moves heaven and earth to get Sean into college. But before, but when Sean realizes that he basically doesn't have the grades to go to college, Sean gets like an apprenticeship with a photographer. Mm-hmm. And he is like, and he um, works there and has been working there. And his plan is to like basically keep apprenticing for this photographer and then open up his own photography studio. So I'm like, Sean's always like, He's always a hustler. He's a hustler. He's always thinking. But that's season five. So. Right. I want to say very quickly about season five and this engagement thing as well, because I'm so I'm still mad about it uh, 20 (laughs) years later. Um, It should be noted that Corey had a ring for Topanga. And because she came over to spend Christmas with their family and he saw himself as being henpecked and Topanga being controlling. That's the excuse he uses every time he fucks up that Topanga's being controlling or that he feels smothered, he didn't give her the ring, which led to him, her to propose to him 11 episodes later. Right. I just, it's ugly. So season six, season six, we pick up off the, the, the proposal of Topanga's proposal. These, op- the opening sort of scenes of uh, season six, episode one is amazing. First of all, Angel's a black girl for real because Angel's coming through with some really good advice. Angel's like, it's dumb that you proposed. (laughs) She's like, we're college freshmen. We're supposed to be having fun. You don't even know who you are yet. Why are you trying to tie yourself down? Shout out to Angela being on this this person on the show that has like the most mental things that's happening in her brain. Right. Like the circuits are firing correctly. Um... (laughs) I, like the the Angela character was super successful. Trina McGee and Maitland Ward become regular cast members this season, season six. Um, I don't know why they invited Maitland Ward, but it is what it is. Useless character. Rachel's a useless character. We're dying on that hill. Um, <laughs> they could have brought back Minkus because we did see Minkus again after like four seasons in the graduation episode last season. They could have. They could have very much brought back Minkus and 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 integrated him into the 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 cast and had oh no i'm sorry they couldn't because he actually went to the ivy league he was accepted to my bad <laughs> um, you know or they could you know they could have invented some excuse like minkus didn't go because reasons i don't know but it would have been cool to see him be part of like the friend group now and mm-hmm. because the show starts having like a real sense of like its history, I think it'd be cool to like explore maybe like a story where he there Minkus becomes like their friend for real, but he's still sort of like salty over like 
all the bullying that they did when they were kids, like that would have been mm. really interesting. That would have been really, really cool to see. So yeah, um, back to season six. Angela is the only person giving Topanga sound advice, but we know Topanga's not thinking clearly. No woman who's thinking clearly is going to propose to a man. So we know she's not like, she's not thinking clearly. She's acting from a place of desperation, which she does a lot when it comes to Corey. And Angela's words are falling on deaf ears. Basically, they... Topanga and Corey tell Amy and, and Alan that they're engaged because Corey does eventually say yes. And um, they do not take it well. Amy and Alan do not take it well. They are like extremely upset. And Corey and Topanga run away to elope. It, it, it goes about as well as you can imagine. You know, they're in this sort of dinky little chapel and they're about to do it. And Topanga decides not to and she doesn't want to because she doesn't like that his family isn't here and that her family isn't here and that, you know, they're doing it basically with everybody sort of being angry at them versus like everybody being really happy. Uh, and they come back home. And once they let it out, they're engaged still, but, but that they did not actually get married. Everyone sort of blows out a sigh of relief. <laughs> Right. So Topanga has trouble saying I do. She's not ready. And when she says we're not ready, we feel hopeful. We feel like, okay, she's come to her senses. She's on the right path. But what she really meant was our fan, like you said, our families are not here. Not let's wait a few years, at least until we graduate college to make this official. Unfortunately, she doesn't mean that. So everybody realizes they're not married, but they do end up getting married this season. They do. They they get married later in this season. Other stuff that happens is uh, Sean and Angela break up. They break up because reasons. Because Sean has, like, abandonment issues. You know, just other issues. And um, and I guess also Sean has, like, this really good reasoning. Sean's like, I just want to I wanna see other people. I want to see what's out there. They And it's like a whole arc. They still love each other, but they can't, like, get on the same page with each other, which feels really real for your 20s. I feel like that's very, like, legit. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, like, 18, 19 years old. That's very valid. It's not like a Corey and Topanga relationship where they've been together for years and years and years. And even Corey and Topanga, particularly Topanga, should be seeing what's out there. Because, girl, it's a whole lot of really great stuff out there. That's not Corey. <laughs> um, uh, I Oh, I really just want to highlight uh, Trina McGee. I can't say it enough. Such a dynamic actress. She, there's an episode, basically when this breakup is happening, there's like a, there are some scenes that happen between her and Corey where, once again, if you do not know how awful Corey is. Let me explain the ways. So Sean, Sean and Angela break up and Corey is like, oh, well, like we're all still going to be friends. And Sean and Angela looks at him and she's like, but we're not friends. Like, and Corey's like, what do you mean we're not friends? Why don't you like me? Corey is more upset that Angela doesn't like him rather than like him being upset at himself that he's, never tried to be a true friend to her or like get to know her in any sort of real way. Mm. 
which she says she articulates to him and, and it's really great. But she, but they have this really great scene uh, together in the um, the co-ed bathroom, which <sighs> Corey in this co-ed bathroom. Oh Jesus! It's like I don't know if the show thinks like these gags are like funny, like Corey being like super freaked out about this co-ed bathroom. I don't know. I don't know why. Like that's like a co- comedic plot point for for him for the show because it's just grating, like. I think in the in this like this the sixth season in the college years they're trying to have they're tr- I think the writers are trying to write Corey in a way that like he's just naive or like he has like a strong naivete, um, but it just comes up. But it doesn't and like there's like a there's just like a wholesomeness and a pureness to Corey. But Ben Savage does not have the range to like nail that. Uh, yeah, he doesn't. It ju- it doesn't come off um, naive and aw shucks. It comes off um, really immature, really childish, and just like cringe. It is. It's super cringe. But this the scene that they have about where Angela confides in Corey about how she's still in the Bashan even though he broke up with her is a really beautiful scene, and it's so well acted by Trina McGee who brings such a gravitas and a levity um, to the character and the situation. Uh, I mean, she even makes Ben Savage's acting bearable, which I I think is, you know, that's a true feat within and of itself. And it just sucks that she didn't have a bigger career after this show because she should have. She's the best. After Ryder Strong, she's the best actress on this show. Period. (laughs) Period. Yes, very real. Now, something else happens this season that I thought was really, really cool. Um, This happens in episode six, Hogs and Kisses, where a director has Sean and Topanga kiss. And there's the chemistry that I always saw there. And Corey sees this shit, too. And he's like, oh, have they been, like, secretly, like, did they have, like, feelings for each other all this time? So he asked Sean and Topanga to go on a date and explore their feelings for each other, which I thought was super interesting because I'm like, best case scenario, best case for Sean, certainly, and a pretty good case for Topanga as well. They do have feelings for each other, and then they X you out of the picture. Then what? Why would you create this situation for yourself, Corey? You want to lose your girlfriend and your best friend in one go? That's dumb. Yeah, basically. Um and of course, Corey reacts to it in like true Corey fashion. He's like, he has like the, a whole meltdown about it. Um, but at least it burnt. But and Angela talks talks him down. Uh, she talks him down about it, and we get this amazing uh, this amazing one liner from Angela about when she walks into the room when Corey walks into her dorm. Corey's like. What are you doing? She goes, nothing, just studying white history. Apparently you people, apparently your people did a lot of stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which is epic. Um, I love the writing like that. And it's so interesting that we would get that from 90 shows. And now these white girls, excuse me, these black girls and the black boys even more so are so neutered in their dialogue because everyone's scrambling not to sound too political. Right. 
Right. No, exactly. Exactly. No, exactly. Um, it like, I mean, it'll be this. And then like later when Mr. Feeney gets married, uh, to Dean, the fact that Angela shows up like in a dashiki, <laughs> like, and like, that's like formal wear for her. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, and it's just like, yeah, you know, like, of course. <laughs> I love that the Angela character, besides being, like, a Black girl that was relatable, (laughs) original Cindy, (laughs) was she never felt the need to tone down her Blackness, nor was she ever told to tone down her Blackness by Sean. Yes. She, she, She really is just, like, if there is such a thing as, like, the prototypical Black girl, because something that I think we see now is like white writers in like <laughs> cough cough original Cindy is like white writers will either make that like you said make black girls neutered or they will like over black the black girls like Cindy where it's like ooh honey child baby I went for the um thing and like because they don't know dead ass <laughs> <laughs> dead ass lit, lit dead ass make it litty hun like. Nobody talks like that. Like that. Um, and Angela is just like, I think she's probably the closest to like the prototypical black girl, like the best sort of written one in um, in white media, at least, or like on a predominantly white show. Right. I, I don't know if there was a black writer in that room, but if there wasn't, I need whoever wrote Angela's dialogue and whoever wrote for Homegirl, what's her name that Bianca Lawson played on Dawson's Creek for like one episode? Yeah. They're the only people who are non-black people who are allowed to write black people from this moment on. <laughs> from this moment going forward. It's them and nobody else. Nobody um, else. Okay, so let's talk about this sexual harassment professor episode. So episode seven, everybody loves Stuart. Yeah, that was interesting. So Fred Savage stops by. Um, that's Ben Savage's famous older, older brother, older brother. Yeah. And immediately we see why Fred Savage continues to work today in 2020, 2020, because he is so compelling in this episode. He's so good. Um, he's, a far better actor than his brother. I don't know what to... I hate it, but, like, it's real. Um, I mean, the truth is the truth. It is what it is. It is what it is. If um, if Ben were the older brother, neither of them would have a career. Just saying. Um, we see the full the full weight of Fred Savage. He apparently directed this episode, too, which is impressive. Um, so, Fred Savage stops by, and he's playing a character called Stuart. And Stuart is a new professor at Pembroke and everybody loves Stuart. That's why that's, I guess the episode is called that. And, um, he's like hip and cool and young and whatever. And so in the episode, yeah, like he come, like he comes onto Topanga, like unwarranted, unwarranted sexually. And, it's interesting. Feeney throughout the whole episode is like, I don't fuck with Stuart. He, he's like a bitch. Like, I don't... There's something, like, bitch-assness about him that I just feel. And y'all just gotta let me feel like that. And it's interesting, cause, and everyone says that, like, Feeney's, like, hating on Stuart. And no, it's because mm-hmm. Feeney knew. It's, it's not the case. It's because Feeney knew the truth. 
The it, real ones know. <laughs> real ones. Real, eye, real eyes realize real lies. <laughs> um, and so Stuart comes over to Topanga and Angela's, because Topanga and Angela are like roommates together in the dorm. And Angela leaves to go do, you know, some school activity or whatever. And so Stuart comes to their dorm room to talk about a paper, which Scott first. That's already suspect. Why are you in the student's dorm? There's a library right there. Wide open. Like you should have office hours. You're a professor. I know you have them. And he comes in and he just begins to sexually harass her. And he's like, what if I said the like, you know, I'm trying to fuck. Like, are you into it? Are you down? And Topanga's like, you need to go. <laughs> like, you need to you need to leave. So, I mean, they don't go all the way there, but they basically go there. And she, I mean, she is, you know, violated in her, her space that is supposed to be safe, which is something that Feeney will say later on in the episode. When Corey finds out, Corey, like, confronts Stuart for whatever reason, and they have a conversation, and then Corey does... I think the first valiant thing that Corey's ever done in his whole life. And he, uh, he slaps Stuart into next week, not even slaps. He like, he goes hard with like a, with a right punch to Stuart's face. Mm. And he's basically like, I see you anywhere near my girl ever again. Like it's on, on sight. Sight. <laughs> um, um, don't let me catch you on these streets, Stuart, even though me- I'm, I, I'm still in your class. Kind of. <laughs> And because he punches Stuart, Corey then has to have like a disciplinary hearing of whether he's going to be expelled or not. Right. Which is, it's just obviously, um, this is one of those rare episodes that shows that you can do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Corey's being, being penalized for an act of violence. Sure. That's bad. If you don't take into account the context. Right. Right. And it's interesting, like, during the inquiry, and, like, Feeney is, like, the one that's leading this inquiry against Stuart, and during the inquiry or, like, the proceedings, Topanga goes to Stuart privately, and she says, drop the the quote-unquote charges against Corey, and I won't tell anybody what happened. Stuart is like, you can tell everybody what happened. I'm going to say that I didn't do any of that shit. And who do you think they're going to believe? So that is interesting because I was like, wow, I didn't. It's interesting that a show in the 90s would like confront that power dynamic head on, because um, I think that's something that we still have trouble talking about now. Right. I mean, this is another thing. The shows in the 90s did this actually very often. They had episodes about sexual assault or sexual harassment, and they always show the power dynamics at play. Now, when these episodes kind of episodes air, there is more and more push to do a both sides are wrong type of scenario and, again, neuter the message. Right. You know, something that I'm really taking from Boy Meets World and something that... um you know, I guess I was reading something about, I was just, I was reading an article as well. It's not wrong to have like a strong point of view. Like right. everything doesn't need to be neutral, quote unquote, or apolitical, quote unquote. Or, or the, or I think the sort of buzzword complex, right? 
That's another word right. like to use, I think. And listen, I I'm a fan of nuance, but y'all be using nuance to death. <laughs> <laughs> right? People be using, oh, nuance, complex, to really just say, like, no point of view. Right. And you use all these words, you take up all this time, you get all polysyllabic. For what? To maintain the status quo. <laughs> Corey is obviously uh, eventually... Um, they find him guilty, but they don't, he doesn't get punished because Stuart was the one that was wrong. And uh, that's the situation. And Stuart is ultimately fired. But I, it's just, it's a great episode. This is probably the only time, too, where Corey has stuck up for Topanga. Granted, it's the only time where she, she's been really in a position for him to have to stick up for her. But, like, it's always Topanga giving, 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 giving. So it's kind of cool to see Corey and his academic career and his future on the line on Topanga's behalf. Um, okay, so something else I want to talk about this season. So this season is where we get, we start to see that Eric becomes attached to this small child named Tommy. And this is a beep. This is like a subplot that will continue throughout uh, several episodes. But basically, uh, I think in the Christmas episode, Eric just decides to give away all their stuff (laughs) to like uh, random children. Everything basically that everybody bought for like Christmas, Eric is just like giving it away to these kids Throughout the episode, Eric meets a a child in particular named Tommy, who does not believe in Santa Claus or believes Eric is, like, faking it. Um, Because, and Eric is like, no, little boy, I am Santa Claus. And Tommy's like, well, if you were really Santa Claus, like, you would find me a mommy and a daddy for Christmas. Heartbreaking. (laughs) So the episode concludes with Tommy spending... Christmas with the Matthews. Eric brings this small child home to Morgan and and the baby and um, Alan, Amy, and Sean and Angela, and they all spend Christmas together. So this plotline continues. Um, it continues, and we see Tommy like we'll see Tommy and Eric in other things in other episodes in like these small little subplots and they're hanging out together and, and Eric really loves this child. And then there is an episode where Eric then wants to adopt the child. Mm-hmm. Cause something, cause basically they've been hanging out for a while now. And Tommy then just comes out, shout out to kids. Tommy then just comes out and says it and is, and is like, why won't you adopt me? Um, and it's really great because it's this, uh, I think it, it's this perfect balance between the sort of goofiness that this character Eric character is going on to, but then that but then like the seriousness of it, right? Mm-hmm. But but it doesn't happen. They totally let it go. Like Eric is talked out of adopting this kid by Nia Vardalos uh, from my big fat Greek wedding. She's like, Eric, are you really ready for a child? And then after that, the Eric character really completely falls apart. But I bring it up to demonstrate that, like, they had this... They did have, like, something for this Eric character. Like, it's weird to me that something that continues on with Eric this season is, like, Eric doesn't know what to do with his life. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know where he's about. But, like, clearly, he likes children. So, like, he should be working with children. 
Right. And the Tommy character in particular gave him direction. Um, it gave him focus. And But you know what? Why do that when you can just keep him as a buffoon? Am I right? I feel like even if he didn't adopt the Tommy character, if we got a B-plot where Eric is volunteering you know, at the Big Brothers, Big Sisters or the Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA and he becomes a mentor and maybe even uh, decides that he wants to be a school counselor, that could give the Eric character so much more depth than what he has. Exactly. It's a failure on the show for not exploring that. And 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 then here's the thing. It's like, I don't even want to say it's a failure because it's one of those, because particularly season six, Season six is also just really frustrating, you know, with the Stewart episode, with Eric and this adoption, Corey and Topanga getting married, Sean dealing with Chet's death, all these really, it's clear that the show wants to move forward and like change the tone of the show. And then somehow, because of like Eric Ray. Rachel or Jack and I and I truly believe it's network interference because it's just so out of left field somehow we keep getting back to these like slapsticky buffoony sort of B plots that will happen that don't make any sense and don't fit in with like some of the larger things that are going on in the show literally make no sense whatsoever I'm tired of it uh, I'm really, really tired of it. And then they just interfere with the with the bigger things. They interfere with Corey and Topanga's wedding and the fact that Topanga's parents are getting a divorce. They interfere with the fact that Chet dies this season before he and Sean can make a true reconciliation, right? And that's a whole thing. Right. Um, and I'm just like, why can't y'all just let this be? Let the show get serious. Let the show continue on the trajectory that it hit in season four. Let it mature. It's called Boy Meets World, but y'all keep keep this shit goofy for no reason. Right, like, let the boy actually meet the world? (laughs) Yes. Can we just, can we stop? Can we just let him live? Um, (laughs) But no, they don't want to do that. So the season ends with Feeney gets married to the Dean. Topanga calls off a their engagement because she finds out that her parents are getting divorced and that her dad's been like cheating. So mm-hmm. she says that like, so she thinks because of this, she knows that she and Corey are not going to work out. Girl, I could have told you it wasn't going to work out, but not for that reason. <laughs> and so that's why she, she, um, she stops. I will say as much as like the show is like Corey and Topanga are not fucking, the show kind of like makes it clear that Angela and Sean are, which I think is interesting. Right. Honestly, I've I've gotten the vibe that Sean is fucking every girl he's with. It is what it is. Like, I feel in a lot of ways the show almost codes Corey as so naive, bordering on asexual for the bulk of of the, his interactions with Topanga. Yeah, I mean, so there's an episode called The Truth About Honesty this season. It's just like a goofy type episode. And it's like the whole thing is that our core four are going to be honest with each other about every little thing. And of course, it leads to ridiculousness. And there's a point in the episode where everybody goes over to the apartment for like a dinner party or whatever. 
and they're all playing this honesty game and they're all being super honest. And, and Topanga asks him this question, Sean, this question. And the crux of the question is like, if you could fuck anybody, who would you fuck? And they don't actually say that. I'm just saying that because it's easier. You guys, Sean says like Angela and Ch- and Angela's like, okay, let's go right now. And he's like, for real. And so, and then Corey jumps in front of them to be like, are you going to like fuck like in the house? Like right now? And Corey says, then says something to the effect of like, but I've never even fucked Topanga, but you get to fuck her. Like why? Why? It's just weird. It's just so weird. Basically. So it's yeah, not that he's naive. It's a callback. It's a callback to the, the season three it was where he's like, Sean's having sex and we've never had sex again. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> He like he constantly does this. When Sean has something that he feels he should have, he whines about it. But when Sean's suffering, it's like, oh, I guess it must be hard being a poor. <laughs> That's true. And then, because then right after they sort of go and Sean and Angela like go like upstairs into like the room or whatever, Topanga then makes like a crack about how, okay, Corey, go ahead and complain again about how you're still a virgin. And that I've never let you fuck me. Like, <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm just saying they're, the the way that they talk about sex on this show is so weird. I mean, it's always going to be weird when you're trying to avoid something very obvious and very natural. And you are trying to take the unnatural position that two people could be dating this long and not having sex. If I were their parents, I would have already put Topanga on birth control. Yeah, that would be the smart choice. Like, you've been dating this guy since you were, what, 12, 13? You better take this pill unless you're trying to drop out of college and and raise some babies. (laughs) Which, um, Which then we'll get to, like, when they get married, people are, like, unreasonably, like, strangely mean to them for reasons that I don't understand. Like, they act as if she got pregnant. Like, but they didn't. They just got married. It's just, this show is weird. Um, this sh- right. And even if she had gotten pregnant, let's be clear. If anyone's trapping anyone, Corey's trapping her. That's true. That's real shit. <laughs> um, so season six, where are you with season six? I thought season six was fairly good, honestly. Um, I think they dealt with heavier issues. They still had the awkwardness of avoiding sex, but it's good. Maybe a little good minus. Like I said, they're never going to quite hit that mark of season four again, but this was good. Same. I'm going to give it a good minus. Um, Like I said, I love a lot of these. I love that the show is growing up. I think it just sucks because like there's, it's still trying to fulfill this like slapstick stick type element. And and honestly, if I'm if I'm being super real, this is a problem across all these sitcom shows that either star people who are grown-ups or shows that become about that start as teenagers and the seasons have gone on so long that they become grown-ups. They they all suffer from this. Um Moesha suffers from this. Uh, and, and 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 some other shows I'm sure that do it that that I just can't think of right now. Yeah, they all do it. They all do it. Any standout episodes for you? Uh, standout episodes from season six. Yes, there were quite a few. I'm not going to say the wedding episodes. So if you're counting on that, don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, episode two, which was her answer, part two. 
episode six, Hogs and Kisses. Episode seven, Everybody Loves Stewart. Episode nine, Poetic License, an ode to Holden Caulfield. Episode 10, and in case I don't see you, that's a Truman Show episode. Episode 11, Santa's Little Helpers. 13, we'll have a good time then. This is the very sad episode where Sean and Jack's father, Chet, um, dies. Oof. That was a hard episode. Mm-hmm. Um, episode 15, Road Trip. It's interesting because I feel sometimes even in his attempts to help Sean, Corey sometimes strikes the wrong chord. We'll talk about that later. Episode 16, My Baby Valentine. Episode 20, The Truth About Honesty. Yeah, those are my favorites. What about you? All right, episode six, faves. Okay, definitely um, four, Friendly Persuasion. Five, Better Than the Average Corey. This is the episode where, like, Corey finally confronts his averageness, and then the show also, like, confronts it as well and makes it makes it explicit better than your average core is basically like it's like about an art prodigy and like Feeney's just like obsessed with this art prodigy and then uh it doesn't make it better that Angela comes in and she got like an A on her paper which by the way her the line is great she says uh maintaining black identity with four very white friends <laughs> She's like, I just got an A on my dissertation. And they're like, oh, what's it about? And she goes, it's about maintaining Black identity while going to school with a bunch of really, really white people. I feel like she needs to publish that paper because I feel like some of the girls and some of the boys need to read that. Uh, It's really good and it's really funny. Um, And then Sean also has like come back with like an A in like photography or something. And his, like, mm. photography class. Uh, oh, yeah, he just got into, like, Sean had just gotten into uh, the photography program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's clear that Sean and Angela are both excelling and, and are good at things. Oh, and really quickly, you guys, I was wrong. They don't get married this season. They get married at the beginning of the last season. season. Sorry about the timeline. It all, the the college years, the last two seasons all blur for me. <laughs> They do blur. Um, Oh, and then, like, Corey goes home to, like, Alan and has this, like, says this really nasty thing to, like, his parents. He's like, it's your fault that I'm like this. I mean, a low-key is. They let him get away with being mediocre. We talked about this last episode. This would He could never be this mediocre in Floyd Henderson's house and certainly not in Frank Mitchell's house. You know what? You're right. That's true. They did. They just allowed him to do whatever. Um, they didn't push him to be to be or do anything. Uh, episode 7, Everybody Loves Stuart. Um, also, Episode 9, a Poetic License and Ode to Holden Caulfield. Uh, episode 11, Santa's Little Helpers. 12, Cutting the Cord. 13, We'll All Have a Good Time Then. Uh, devastating. Also, Road Trip. By the way, Nobody's Angel, that like pop band shows up in that episode. <laughs> Yo, that was a throwback because like I had almost forgotten they had ever existed. No shade because I really used to fuck with Nobody's Angel, but like they... They barely had a moment. They barely had 15 minutes of fame. They had, like, five minutes of fame. They had five. They had, like, two really good songs, and that's it. Right. Like, I think even Play was more popular than Nobody's Angel. (laughs) (laughs) 
17, resurrection. 18, can I help cheer you? 20, the truth about honesty. Uh, and then 22, state of the unions. And that mm-hmm. those are those are my standout episodes. Let's talk about that very last season of Boy Meets World. This is a season where we wrap shit up more or less. It's 23 episodes, and um, it starts with another breakup. Oh, um, yeah. Jack and Rachel break up if you cared. Right. And Topanga and... I mean, we don't care about them. <laughs> Topanga and Corey also break up yet again. I had honestly forgotten all about Jack and Rachel till you mentioned them. They weren't engaging before, and on the rewatch, they're very deeply forgettable. Um, no shade to Maitland Ward. I'm sure she's a great actress. I haven't seen anything else she's done, but I'm sure she's she's a good actress. And Matthew Lawrence, I know he's a good actor, but not, every character shouldn't be shouldn't get this. Um, This character shouldn't have been written. I'm sorry. It is what it is. It's like, I really don't, like I said, I don't get why they're there. I don't, all I can think is that they're there to, to give Eric friends and then to create, to attempt to create this friends vibe um, for the show. We get into season, season seven and season seven picks up with Corey and Topanga are broken up and they're trying to fix it. I will, I do want to say, I want to mention something. I like how each season Angela's hair resembles like a different Janet Jackson era. Like I really fuck with that. Quiet as it's kept. Fun fact: Trina McGee did her own hair and makeup while on the set of Boy Meets World. I completely believe it. Yeah, um, I, and I'm glad that. I mean, even if they couldn't get someone to do her hair, I think the next best thing is to allow the actress the versatility to do this. Um, I know Reagan Preston Gomez, who was on an all-black show, she was on Parenthood, did her own hair on that show as well. Um, obviously, it's, fuck- it's fucked up that she had to do her hair for, like, you know, reasons and that, like, somebody... You should know, like, the hair and makeup person should know how to do your hair and makeup. It does show that she did her own, that she was doing her own thing, because she looks incredible, Some of these Um, braids are, like, Moesha-level, like, intricate and, like, really beautiful. And and, and it's very impressive, and I am impressed. Also, I did notice that, like, Ben Savage also, like, his hair, like, has waves in season five onward. (laughs) Yeah, they cut it much lower. Much lower. (laughs) Like, they cut it lower, and then they, there's, and then when it kind of gets long, it is wavy. So, clearly, he got some keratin treatments or he found himself a black barber and a stiff brush. That's what he got. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I'm happy. I'm just happy. The 360 waves fam. He probably got a do rag too. Ah! Keep that shit wavy. Okay. So yeah. Called John B and was like, yo, what's your barber's name? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. So season seven picks up um, and they're still broken up and the girls all decide to live together and the boys are sort of on their own. And it's, it's a sort of hooky slapstick episode, but it's fine. Um, We meet Angela's father this season, which is interesting. 
Yes. So shows about black girls like to not focus on their parents at all. So it's cool to see her father. But I'm like, I don't know. I have thoughts. I have thoughts about it. I would have liked to see meet her mother as well. Right. We do. We find out that the mother is out of the picture. Black girls are only allowed to ever have one parent. Basically, basically, unless the show is like about them. Um, the Bianca Laza character from Dawson's Creek, dead mother. Dead mom. <laughs> because of her dead mom, she feels a lot of like ab- abandonment issues. So um, her and Sean, I guess, are mirrors of each other in that sense. But by the end of the episode with the dad, she tells Sean that she loves him. And it's a moment. It's. It's a moment, and it's it's a big one, particularly because season six was just so much of, like, their drama with each other, is that it it's very satisfying. They try to attempt... They attempt to make this Jack character interesting uh, by giving him a sudden gambling addiction, and I don't know why they do it. It's not needed. I mean, again, addiction runs in families. We get it. Gambling addiction is also an addiction that I feel should be highlighted more in media, but it just doesn't hit. They don't do the right things to make us care. All right. So then finally, the to Corey and Topanga finally get married and they get married basically because like Eric like does a finesse. <laughs> um. I don't know. It's it's supposed to be happy and joyous. I am not happy. I am not joyed because I'm like, wow, Topanga, you really just like sealed your fate. You did it. Girl. Um, yeah, it's so hard. Like the first time I watched the show, I was very young and I didn't think as poorly on this decision as I do now. But even then, I didn't think it was romantic. Right. And and then after they get married, so so after Corey and Topanga get married and they come back to Philadelphia, Sean and Angela have like taken over the apartment and they're living there like, you know, all booed up together. So they're not particularly trying to have anybody else there, which is understandable. But there is this whole thing where like Corey and now that Corey and Topanga are married, they have to move into like the married dorms per school policy. Which doesn't make dumb. which doesn't make any sense to me and feels really stupid. And um the married dorms are basically like hell. Like <laughs> I mean it's I don't know why. It's, it's like scared straight for college married college students. It is. It's like skid row, like it's basically the marriage dorms. And then when Topanga and Corey go to Amy and Ma- and Alan to ask for like help financially Amy and Alan are like no they like you must be like living on the streets you'll figure it out and I don't get that at all because like that's literally not how like anybody who's middle class like works that's not how any of that works for them it felt very punitive but it's like what are you punishing them for and why do you feel the need to punish your child in this manner Exactly. The, you're exactly the whole tone of the episode and of like and it goes on over like two episodes. This thing, it's all very punitive and it's punitive in, in the sense of like um, in the way that like I would expect a 90s character 
I would expect the show to be punitive towards a character if like she had gotten pregnant, but they're just like married and I don't get it like at all. They literally have the same relationship they had prior. There are no children and there's no plans to have children anytime soon. So what are you really upset about? And again, even if you are upset, how is the the your child facing potential homelessness an appropriate way to punish them for not obeying you? It just seems so out of left. Like it's definitely something Frank Mitchell would do and it's in line with his character. <laughs> but Amy and Alan were not presented to us as those types of parents who would be that level of controlling and petty. Right. And I just, um, like I said, it all feels like, it feels like something that would make sense to me if, if Topanga were pregnant or she were having a baby or she had like the baby out of wedlock. Um, but it, for what ha- it's happening, it doesn't, it feels like a post-grad story actually. Right. Right. And, but like they're still in school. It doesn't Right, cuz if my son's an undergrad and he and his wife are about to be homeless, wouldn't a parent even if I was upset at the the fact that they were married, do everything I could to keep him in school because not helping him now creates a dynamic where I could potentially be having to help him for years and years and years to come. Right. Yeah, basically. And I don't know, it's just weird. We talked previously about how this this dynamic between Corey and Topanga, um, where she is hyper successful and he isn't, will um, that's sort of been building throughout the seasons will come to a head, and it does. It finally comes to a head in this episode, episode thirteen, called "The Provider." So what happens is basically they need to get jobs, and Corey get scammed into a telemarketing job, right? That mm. you don't really make any money. And meanwhile, Topanga gets a job as an assistant to a fashion editor at a, at a magazine. And she makes great money. And Corey is like immediately uh, inadequate and so, or is starting to feel inadequate. And then no, you're right. The first time Corey is inadequate. <laughs> and then when Topanga and then Topanga, of course, gets promoted. And when she gets home, she tr- Corey. We see that Corey has not sold a single magazine because ho- Corey's telemarketing job is that he sells magazines, um, subscriptions over the phone. And we see from t- Corey's telemarketing job that he's been he can't even sell one subscription. Uh, to a magazine and Topanga comes over and she takes up uh, Corey's, you know, phone and she sells like seven in the, on the first try. (laughs) And this leads to a complete blow up where Corey then tells her you're, you, you steal my spirit or it's your fault Basically saying it's it's her fault that he sucks. Topanga has accepted him mediocre, allowed him to be mediocre, never encouraged him to be more than mediocre, um, and he- constantly tries to help him, to not help him out of mediocrity, but cover the spread 
of his mediocrity with her own efforts for as long as they've known each other. She's never demanded that he actually, I don't know, grow the fuck up. He can't be happy for her. Like, okay, so you're mediocre. That's fine. But, like, she's chosen you for better or for worse, right? Right. Be happy for her. Like, it's ugly. And she does say something to the set, like, to the tone of, like, I can't even be happy for my own successes. And then for the first time, she does call, like, Corey, like, average to his face. It's a big thing because he's always berated her for being successful. He's always tried to take her down a peg and neg her into diminishing her accomplishments. Even though she's never done the same to him. She's always, like, supported him and been like, oh, that's a great job. Oh, like, that's something. Like, oh, she's always been supportive. And it is so ugly to watch. But I'm like, girl, you did this to yourself. The dynamic between Corey and Topanga is one that I've seen so often in real life, which is why I will never be a fan of Corey or that relationship. Since this ain't build a man workshop, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. And it gets frustrating no matter how much you love this person. But what makes the episode truly ugly is that at the end of the episode, when after the big blow up and Corey and Topanga are now talking out the fight, the show does ultimately take the point of view that she was wrong to feel the way she feels and and say what she said. And she should have, you know, lowered herself or held back her accomplishment or um, not said anything to him about his treatment of her. And that's what's truly ugly about the episode. It's so ugly. Like, I want to talk about this some more. First of all, uh, Topanga has been downgrading her accomplishments the moment she decided to reject Yale for Corey, period. Because that's something she earned, right? By not taking it, she decided to diminish her accomplishments for Corey. And it's not just that she's better than Corey and smarter than Corey and way too good looking for Corey. It's as we said, he's constantly trying to diminish her efforts. He's not aware that she's smarter and happy about it and doesn't like to show off the fact that he has a woman who is so intelligent. He hates it. He's intimidated by it. But he's hoping that if she's with him long enough, she will acquiesce and make herself smaller and take up less room, which she ultimately does. Boy Meets World is literally a show about a man who looks into a woman who shouldn't have even looked at him twice and finally succeeds in breaking her down and making him the type of woman who can continuously stroke his ego. Um, Although I don't particularly acknowledge Girl Meets World, um, it sucks that in that continuation, Topanga is like a stay-at-home mom. She's not working. So for all these ambitions and all this success and all this, um, I think, initiative and, and gumption and smarts that she has, like, in the end, he overcame and and did right. manage to put her in that place. And that's that's ugly. That's horrible. What incels wrote this shit? I just want to talk. Absolutely. It's- oh, and also, and I can't stress this enough, just because you've been with the dude for a long time, or y'all been together since you were really young, doesn't mean you got to stay with him, sis. There is an episode this season. Sean gets a letter from his mother, Verna, and... In the letter, we find out that Verna, 
was not his real mother. Who that boy his... just keeps they keep throwing tire irons at that kid. And I will say, for, so for the first time ever, Corey is like right. Like Corey has like, you know, broken clocks twice a day because when the letter first shows up, Corey is like, Sean, don't open that letter. <laughs> don't don't do it. We're all together. You're back with Angela. You've dealt with your father's death. We're all in such a good place right now. Let's just keep it here. Like, whatever's in that envelope is just gonna, like, fuck you up. Corey was right. Sean then tries to find his birth mother and can't. He has, like, a really bad, like, emotional spiral. Like, he gets really, really wasted and then shows up to Alan's birthday party. It's interesting for for reasons. So first of all, it's interesting because he comes in and everyone sees that he's like really fucking drunk. And Angela is the only one that can kind of talk him down. Angela's the only one that can, who's like, okay, let's handle it. Like she's like, she kind of is, is like, okay, like let's just get out of the house and let's go for a walk so you can just like not be here at this moment. Mm. And then Alan Alan, out of nowhere, is like, Sean, you need to come into the kitchen. And, like, his in his very stern dad voice, like, is like, Sean Hunter, like, you come here this instant. I need to talk to you for a moment. In, like, the very stern dad voice. And Sean is not feeling that, rightfully so. He's like, you're not my father. Like, don't talk to me like you're my father. And then Alan says, well, do you want me to be, like... How about we f- make it official? Do we? Do you want me to formally adopt you? And I was like, where was this energy when he was a teenager? Right. I mean, he's like 19 or 20 now. Where was this energy when he was 13 years old sleeping on park benches, sir? <laughs> like, what? I was so angry at, for Sean in that moment. I would have been like, bitch, where was this energy when I was homeless at 13? Like, what? Too little, too late, Alan. Um, because that honestly, that if he had done this six years ago, it could have saved Sean a world of pain. It really could have. Now, now when he's twenty years old, you want to adopt him, boy? Bye. Boy, bye. Get out of here. Like, I just, I just remember. Well, I remember on the rewatch, and I'm like, Alan has like some nerve. Like, truly has nerve. Because the fact that he did not want this child, like, at all. Like, in his son's life for the longest time. Before we wrap it, I do want to talk about this episode. So, there's an episode called... And it's like a two-parter. It's called The War is the first part, and then The Peace is the second. So, The War is actually a really good episode. And this is why it's a really good episode. It manages to bring all these characters together that that feel like they've been living in separate shows. It finally addresses the elephant in this, like, in this room, like, in terms of, like, the show. Why are Rachel and Jack here? <laughs> like, what is their purpose? Like, that's basically what the episode The War is about. Our core four, basically, are all hanging out together in this dorm. And Rachel comes into the dorm, and she's, like, pissed about how somebody took her parking spot and, you know, some, uh, and like, you know, just venting about all the stuff that went wrong that day. So when, so Corey says something to piss her off and she's like, and because she is like the RA, um, she's like, get the fuck out. And they're like, you're going to be sorry. 
So then they play a prank on her. And the prank is that, like, they get her car into the dorm room or something. It's That could never happen. It's not, like, a real thing. But, um... And I'm not doing all that manual labor to get back <laughs> at you. The fuck? Basically, they kick off this prank war. And the two teams are Corey, Sean, and Topanga are on one team. And Angela, Jack, and Rachel are on another. So they... They are pulling these pranks on each other, and it comes to a very serious head when they find, I guess, what we would term now as, like, Rachel's nudes from that she had given Jack while they were dating. And they blow up Rachel's nudes and, like, put it in the student union for everyone to see. They're not actually nudes, of course. This is an ABC show. So she's, like, um, she's, like, naked, but she's, like, she's covered with this, like, pink, frilly thing. Mm -hmm. They're semi-nudes. They're tasteful. (laughs) They're scandalous. Scandalous. And it's crazy to give credit to the episode like it's taken very seriously why would you do something like this like Corey is like it's not that serious mm, like because he is xander harris but it it fractures the friend group and then they all have to come together to talk about like are they really friends and if so like why and it is like a clever and interesting and well-written episode in that regard because it does bring everyone together and it gives everybody to something to do while also sort of trying to answer this question that we've had since season five of like, why are these people here? Essentially, essentially. Um, that episode was super interesting because we don't, we, the other shows in the nineties have covered consent and date rape and sexual harassment, but never th- consent at this specific medium of is it okay to share um, intimate photographs or nudes or things of that nature. Um, I'm glad that they touched on it. This is one of the few shows that ever talks about, you know, why it's wrong and harmful and invasive to spread someone's nudes around. I'm glad they had to talk about their friendship group. And this is literally the only episode where the Rachel character is made useful. So, it's And how Corey and Sean even got the nudes, it, it unveils in a really clever way. She's like, how did you even get these photos? Like, and the explanation is basically like, Jack and, although this is weird, um, Jack and Sean exchanged nudes. Of their girlfriends, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Jack has, like, Angela's nudes, I guess, somewhere. It's actually not weird. Um, I thought it was weird, too. But then in recent months, literally just in the last few months, in talking to men that I know, it's actually very common for men to do this with their homeboys, to be like, see, that's what I'm bagging right now. I don't want to touch on the nature of this. And I feel the innate misogyny as well as um in some cases the levels of homoeroticism of it all but it it, it does show at the end of the day that men do not value the discretion of women and the autonomy of women even those who are not rapists are not always 100 percent on about consent and it's it's disheartening 
I like this episode for that reason. It shows that even if this guy's not going to harass you or force himself on you, that doesn't necessarily make you a good guy. Nice guys everywhere. Please watch this episode of Boy Meets World. I mean, yes, because the way Corey and Sean, like, even respond initially to Rachel's hurt is, like, very, it's in, it's very callous um, and unfeeling. When Topanga then sees that they've posted her nudes on, like, this wall, um, Topanga isn't mad that they posted the nudes. Topanga's mad that they didn't tell her that they were going to post the nudes. Right. And I think a part of her is mad as well that Corey is looking at Angela's nudes or, uh, um, or Rachel's nudes. Right. Which is so upsetting to me. But I also think that this is necessary because a lot of women, even feminist women, even smart women take the position of, well, if you didn't want me to get out, you shouldn't have taken them, which I feel is a position that's very adjacent to rape apologist apologism. Angela's the only one that really sticks up for Rachel when her nudes get exposed. A black queen coming through. Coming through, coming through. She really, like, she's like, that was completely... She's the the only one, I think, of that core four that really admonishes Corey and Sean. She's like, that's completely out of line. You knew that was out of line. How dare you? Like, that's clearly a private photo between two people who used to love each other. Like... Why would you do that? They're trying to work it out. And it's interesting, the show breaks it down. Like, well, Jack and Rachel talk about how, like, we always feel like we're outsiders of, like, your little group. Like, or in, and Jack specifically says, like, Angela, Rachel, and he, he's like, we're, no matter how hard we try, we just, we can't be in, like, your cool little group. And Sean is interesting. And Sean stands up and he says, well, first of all, Sean, like, basically breaks down the friend group and says something like, uh, Angela, well, first of all, Angela's my girlfriend and I love her. And then, you know, Corey and Corey's my best friend and she's his wife. So I have to love her. <laughs> like, it's not like I don't have a choice. And then you're my, and, and, and Sean's like, and Jack, you're my brother. And, and so like, I don't, I also don't have a choice in, in liking you either. And then, so then Rachel goes, so then where does that leave me? Mm-mm-mm. Questions you've that have answers. You've always been. Um, it culminates in probably one of the stronger episodes of the season called The Peace, which is basically like it's a flash forward episode. I love me some flash forward episodes. Um, but it's it's a flash forward of what would have happened or what could happen if they don't resolve this rift in their friend group. And it, it shows, you know, Corey and Topanga are happily married, but they've stopped talking to Sean. And we see that, like, uh, Sean and Jack don't talk to each other anymore. And that Sean and Angela uh, broke up, but are, you know, at least Sean is still very much in love. And it's a lot of drama. It's really good. It would have been a perfect kicking off point for a continuation of the series but um i'll talk about that in a minute but uh i want one more episode of that i really want to touch on in season seven is angela's going away episode because they write her out before the series finale which i think is mean but whatever um which is called angela's ashes so basically angela's dad comes back 
Angela's dad is being has been told that he's going to be stationed in Europe. And he wants Angela to transfer to a school out in Europe so that they can be together. And Sean is not feeling any of that. And Corey with sort of Sean's, well, Sean with Corey's sort of like convincing, basically almost proposes to Angela. Mm -hmm. And then Angela, and then Angela says something to him of like, about like, I'm so glad you understand like why I need this time with my dad because I know that you you needed time with yours and I'm glad you're letting me go so I can do this. And then she leaves and everybody and it's like a nice whatever like everybody says It's a nice send off but yeah I thought it was bullshit too. Yeah, it's bullshit but it's nice. Everybody says goodbye and she goes and Sean holds his tongue and he does not propose to her. Y'all keep making Sean take these L's. I don't like it. What for? I feel like they do things with the Sean character, like, uh, I think more covertly, and things with the court, with the Eric character overtly to minimize them to boost up the Corey character. I will die on that hill. I agree with that. Ben Savage probably had a lot of like serious talks with the writers about needing Sean's storylines to diminish and his to get, you know, beefed up. Cause I, cause I feel that in certain seasons. Right. And if your older brother is a suave, cool guy and a, a, a girl magnet, it diminishes the protagonist who's not nearly as special as he thinks he is. In Angela's ashes, there's like, these like asides where Topanga tells Corey that she's going to New York city to interview at this law firm. Uh, and then Corey just sort of ignores her and then sticks himself back into Sean's business. Um, and so then brave new world, the series ends with a bunch of flashbacks to, from the beginning of the series till, till the end. And, and, but the storyline is, is that everybody is that, Corey and Topanga are moving to New York City to um, follow this big job that she's gotten or this really big internship she's gotten at this law firm in New York City. Um, And everybody is just going. And then everybody one by one goes. Sean is going to New York City. Eric's going to New York City. Rachel and Jack are also going to New York City. Why Rachel gets like a bigger send off than Angela or like why Rachel is more incorporated. Uh, then then and then Angela can is beyond me. I can only assume they just hated Trina McGee. They're like a black girl. Hate it here. Right. Um, I do think that it was really mean spirited for Angela to be sent off two episodes ahead of the finale. Y'all on some bullshit and I hate it here. But let's talk about our favorite episodes before we give the season a grade. Do you have favorite episodes? I do, I do. Season seven, fave episodes. I really like um, two for Love and Apartments, three Angela's Men, four No Such Thing as a Sure Thing. By the way, this is, if you listen to our Smart Guy episode, this is where um, episode four is where the the penguin mascot suit makes its (laughs) reappearance. (laughs) <laughs> Disney just trading those trading those set pieces not trying to do new shit um 
uh, five, you light up my union. The high school from Boy Meets World is the same high school from Smart Guy. The set. Yeah, it's the same set. <laughs> same one. Ten, picket fences. Thirteen, the provider. Fourteen, I'm going to be like you, dad. Fifteen, the war. Sixteen, the peace. Eighteen, how Corey and Topanga got their groove back. Nineteen, brotherly shove. Uh, and twenty-one, Angela's ashes. All right. Um, I think for me, my favorites would be four. No such thing as a sure thing. Six. They're killing us. Eight. The honeymooners. Seventeen. She's having my baby back ribs. This was a really. This was a kind of cute episode. Topanga and Eric are worried about their weight gain, and they try to diet. But then Sean and Corey decide that Topanga must be pregnant, and she runs with the pregnancy um, rumors because she likes the attention of being pregnant as opposed to just being a little bit fatter. This could have been a really good body positivity episode, but they, I think they, it was a little bit too light in some areas, but it's good. 19 brotherly shove 21 Angela's ashes. Yeah, that's it. I'm not, I checked out after she left. Sorry guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we talk about this establishment, this idea of, like, the core four, like, how important they are. And she definitely integrated herself uh, into that core four. um, And they integrated her into it. Um, She's she's been there since season five. It's not like she's been there for three whole seasons. So it's weird to – it's weird that they would write her out early and then keep Rachel, who's only been there for two, and then hasn't had nearly the same impact in the storylines. Right, because her relationship was with Jack, another auxiliary character. Character that no one cared about. (sighs) Yeah. It's not um, even like Rachel got with Eric. Like, no. Like, she's literally only just been with Jack. So I say all this to say a lot of poor decisions were made in that final season. It is what it is. I'm going to give this season a a basic minus just because y'all took, y'all took Angela early. It could have been a basic, but then you took Angela early. Same. I'm going to give it a basic. I, I just, there's so much good that's happening and it sucks that it sucks that they cut Angela's story short. When I felt like she had so much to give mm. still, but yeah, it's a basic for me too. So obviously like there, this is a crazy beloved show. It was beloved to the point that it got a sort of reboot ish called girl meets world. That was pioneered. That was a, that was a decent spinoff. It, but the, I the, it. The, the, the execution was bad. I think the I, idea of the spinoff was good, but the execution was bad. I think the, so to me, cause I had been before I, cause I remember when girl meets world was announced, I had been thinking about a boy meets world continuation for a really long time. Um, and I thought the best way to do it would be to just continue the natural progression of the original show, which is because which Corey is and Topanga are divorced and she's successful. Corey and Topanga are like, well, they're in a, a marriage that's breaking apart. Definitely. Um, 
And I and I thought the perfect way to do it was to be how the actual show set it up. So to jump 30 years into the future. And then instead of it being the sort of sitcom show, it could be like a more modern version. And it could be like a more, it could be a modern like dramedy. So it would be along the lines of like an Insecure or an Atlanta or... Um, or like or girls like it's a comedy but there's also a lot of like serious dramatic elements to it because that's how the not, that's how the show feels like it, what it's trying to do anyway um and it's being held back by this 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 sitcom element so you can still have a comedy but let it be like girls or or insecure I think that's the problem, though. We've talked about the major issues with Boy Meets World thus far. My major issue being the dynamic of Corey's relationship with Topanga. Um, How it's a relationship that wouldn't exist in the natural world. It's forced. It's heavily one-sided. She's doing all the chasing. She's doing all the bending. She's doing all the quote-unquote compromising Continuing the story as it was originally written is an impossibility. That's why Girl Meets World failed. That's a couple that shouldn't stay together um, with, with the foundation that they were built on. But like, no, I don't No, I don't think so. Because like you so you because once you let because once you let continue, because once you take away this um, uh, part for this 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 um requirement i think at least by abc for the slap sticky element and you let the show be a bit more grounded but progress naturally i think you have it i think you have an entire season about like them getting divorced and the break of that marriage that's interesting mm-hmm. um and that's where you can start like the show we're um, saying the same thing, though. I'm saying the marriage is ending. You're saying the marriage is falling apart. Either way, Corey and Topanga are not a happily married couple, which is what Girl Meets World gave us. And that's the problem. They th- This might have worked back in 1993 when this show first premiered, this ridiculous relationship that they have. But we're all older and wiser now. And Corey's an asshole. And we don't want to see them together anymore. Right. I also think that, like, they miscalculated like who actually was going to care. Like um, they wanted, I, I think the people who would have been more like, I think the people who would have been interested in seeing this show are like millennials. And I think Gen Z doesn't have a fucking clue what boy meets world is. Cause by the time right. like boy, cause boy meets world, like, like now and like, and when Gen Z was like coming up, it wasn't really, it was airing at like, 3 a.m. like when Gen Z would right. so like they were in bed. The only people who really like really remember the show are millennials. Um so Yeah, that's a millennial Gen Z show. Cause the, the so, character actors on the show were all Gen Z. So yeah, I mean not Gen Z, Gen X, I'm sorry. So it it didn't make sense that they made it a children's show to begin with. Um and I think that aspect of it really hampered it. And uh, I know Ben Savage was very instrumental. Like, I think he has, like, executive producer credit in Girl Meets World. 
Um, and it shows because it flopped and he's like a bad decision maker. Um, unlike his brother. Uh, and cause I know, cause I do remember like when I was reading like sort of stuff about it and interviews about it, he was very involved in the, in the creation of Girl Meets World. And he made a lot of decisions and choices and he was also the one that was like, oh yeah, it should be like them in middle school. And these, I'm like, no, like nobody cares. Like no kids care about like this show because why? Um, I think, like I said, it would have been better. Like it would have been better as a continuation on like an HBO. Um, and I always thought, and I, and I always thought it could go like really, it would be interesting. Cause like, I think you have this, the Corey, Obviously, I think you have, like, the Corey Topanga, like, marriage, like, fracturing and, like, them getting divorced. I think Corey goes full MAGA, M- M- M-A-G-A. Right. He goes, he goes full M- M-A-G-A. And full um, meninist, probably. He does. Absolutely, he does. And um, you can have, like, I think Sean and Angela are still probably caught up in their bullshit. Um, not that uh, it's only because I feel like they, they're very dramatic and I feel that from them. Um, and you could have Angela come back and, and if they have kids, like, I think that'd be interesting. You could incorporate the, the like kids, like somehow, like in like a big little lies type way. But, um, but no, they wanted it on Disney channel and it only had two seasons and then it was over because nobody watched it and it wasn't that good. Like I said, I like the concept of Girl Meets World. And again, the show Boy Meets World was for Gen X and millennials. But I like the idea of Girl Meets World because as two things, as a continuation, which I think they could have done successfully. Degrassi, the next generation, did this successfully. On the original Degrassi, we had characters like... Um, Spike, who is Emma's mom, she was a character on the original Degrassi, but the show had her as a side character to her daughter's character on The Next Generation. I think if Corey and Topanga's inner lives had taken a complete backseat to Riley's and their marriage falls apart in the background and, you know, Topanga takes up an almost Mr. Feeney persona where her daughter learns from the ample mistakes that she made with Corey that would have been cool or we just do a show called girl meets world where Corey and Topanga and the Matthews are, are not characters who exist here. And we just do the boy meets world script from a girl's perspective. I think either of those could have been done well, but Ben Savage and the need to center the Corey's Matt, Corey Matthews character is why girl meets world failed. Yeah. Um, I just don't like, I guess I don't know. Like, I think the second thing is cool, like just redoing Boy Meets World, but from a girl's perspective. I mean, that I wouldn't watch it, but like I can see like that working better on a Disney channel, like if it has to be. But I don't mm-hmm. get why, but I just don't, I don't think I get why, like, I guess, and that was like my original thought when Girl Meets World was announced. Like, I don't, like, why do, like, why do kids now care about this old show that they never watched? Right. And we're constantly referencing this old show because old we have these show. old characters that characters. are all over the promo. Like, like the promo was barely even any Riley. It was just like promos, uh, Corey, Topanga, Mr. Feeney, all up in the promos. Like, is a show about the girl or is it about y'all? 
Um, and it's clear they want it. And it's like, I just, I, like I said, so like, that's why I said like a continuation on like a HBO where the show can actually grow up and then it'll be targeted for people who actually watch the old show makes more sense. And if you want to do a kid's show, then it let, then just do something completely separate where none of these characters ever existed. Cause I don't right, get, like, right. I don't get why. And cause that was, I mean, when it was announced, I was like, who, who they don't, they never watched the show. Like it was out of syndication by the time they were like ki- kids. Like, so you have like these kids. So you have like children, like 14, 13, 10 year olds watching this children's show about adults and they don't know. And like, they just don't understand what, like, no, like, this is not what they want to watch. Like, why are you doing this to them? Right. You can't make it a kid's show and then continue to center the adults. Even Boy Meets World knew this. Uh, Alan and Amy Matthews and Mr. Feeney were auxiliary characters to Corey and whatever he had going on with Sean and Topanga. That's what, sorry, Ben Savage, Girl Meets World can't be about you. It can't. And like, um, and I guess, I guess it was since you watched it. I only watched Angela's episode. Yeah, it was a mess. It was, a, it was, a, again, const- constantly centering the adults and giving them almost as much talk time as the child on a kid's show never works. It has never worked. I don't know what blueprint you were following or you thought you could set a new standard, but dead that hang it up. Dead that hanging up and like and it's lame because I feel like if he, I feel like if he had like some a modicum of sense and he had like or somebody had pitched them an idea of like an adult continuation, like he probably would have been into that because it would have been about him, like he clearly wanted it to be. Right, and then even in the continuation, the things that we do get make no sense. Topanga's a stay-at-home mom, and I understand that people's ideologies and their priorities shift with time but Topanga in seven seasons never voiced a desire to not have a career outside of the home right he's he's just like that's yeah and that's why it's and that's why he would be full MAGA he would um MAGA, Meninist, all that jazz. All that It's jazz. interesting because I remember in like seasons one or two when a baby Topanga, back when she was in her frizzy-haired glory, would talk about the fact that she was feminist. And Corey would laugh. And it was never revisited, but I'm absolutely certain Corey is no closer to being a feminist now than he was then. Right. You're right. Like, exactly. Um... It just made no sense. I still think you could do it. They're not too old still. Um, I think, and I think that would be nice. In fact, I don't know that it should be like a whole series, but it would be cool to have like a little mini series continuation. Um, yeah, we can call it Girl Meets World when Topanga leaves Corey. I would just, it would just be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'd call it, but it would definitely be something about man versus world or something maybe um and you could and it would be like i don't know like like i said it would be about the fracturing of like Corey and topanga's marriage and maybe like sean and angela trying to co-parent and eric uh 
being successful, being like mildly successful, like not mildly, but like successful at life in a different way. Um, Somehow I always envisioned like Eric like would be like a caregiver or like something that something that was just like about people Uh, because he was good at people and you could and then you could resolve some of these stories and it could speak to and it would and it could speak to like millennials and like younger Gen Z about just all the shit that like happened because, you know, the show ended in 2000. 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. So the world had shift, had has just changed so much um, between then and now, and and it could look at like all of that and how it's changed and um, how all the character and then how the events of like the world have like changed these characters. And I think that would be interesting and cool. Um, I just want Sean to get a win. If they reopen this bag of worms again. Well, I always felt like Sean would go on to be, like, a really successful, like, artist, like, in some sort of type of medium, Mm -hmm. whatever that medium is. There you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the last half of Boy Meets World good, bad, basic, and memorable. If you'd like to check out this landmark series, Boy Meets World is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing the first half of the hot Black family sitcom, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. If you'd like to check out this series or walk down memory lane before then, Fresh Prince is currently streaming on HBO Max. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.